Chapter 10. How Can You Believe in Heaven and Hell? I've just finished watching a show called The Good Place. In the first episode, a woman called Eleanor wakes up in an unfamiliar place. A man tells her, kindly, that she's died. But everything is fine. She lived a really good life on Earth, so she's come to The Good Place. Everyone in The Good Place earned enough points in their lives to deserve super happy afterlives. Each person gets to live in his or her ideal house with a specially selected soulmate. They eat their favorite foods and own their favorite pets. They even get to learn to fly. But Eleanor has a problem. She knows she isn't good. In her life on Earth, she was selfish, dishonest, and cruel. She's not a murderer or a psychopath. She doesn't think she deserves the bad place, but she knows there's been a big mistake. Eleanor thinks that she should be in a medium place for people who are just okay, and she's afraid she'll get found out. Many people think of heaven like that. If we're good people, we earn our way to a good place called heaven. Strangely, even people who don't believe in God at all will often talk about loved ones who have died looking down from a better place. But if there is no God, there is no better place. There's only death. Unlike Eleanor, most people think that if there is a good place, they're probably good enough to go there. And if there's a bad place, a place called hell, that's just for really terrible people like Hitler and Stalin. So what does the Bible say about heaven and hell? How can we be sure we'll go to heaven when we die? And if there is a place called hell, how could a loving God send people there? This chapter will explore those questions. It's the hardest and most important chapter in this book. It's about the end of the story. The Real Meaning of Heaven and Hell In the song False God, Taylor Swift says her relationship with her boyfriend is like worshipping a false god. Heaven is when they're together, hell is when they fight. Strange as it may sound, this idea of heaven and hell is closer to what the Bible teaches us than the setup in the good place. Because in the Bible, heaven and hell are about our relationship with God. Heaven isn't a place to which God sends us if we're good. Heaven is being in perfect, happy, everlasting relationship with God and with each other. It's Jesus and his people together forever in an unimaginable whole new world. Everything good about God's new creation, the place where heaven and earth come back together, flows from relationship with him. Hell is the opposite. Hell means facing the judgment of God forever and being shut out of his kingdom. Taylor Swift sings, Hell is when I fight with you. According to the Bible, hell is when God fights with us. You may have heard Christians say that you need to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, and you may have thought... That's weird. Why would believing in a guy from 2,000 years ago make the difference in where you go after you die? But heaven is all about being with Jesus. At the beginning of The Good Place, Eleanor is assigned a soulmate called Chidi. But Jesus says at the resurrection, there will be no human marriage. Why? Because the real marriage, that whole new world of Jesus' marriage to his people that we talked about in chapter 6, will finally have come. I live with my husband and our three kids. The place I live in isn't just a house, it's a home, and the foundation of our home is my marriage to my husband. If I'd said no to Brian when he asked me to marry him 13 years ago, I wouldn't be living with him now. It's like that with Jesus. Taylor Swift made a false god of her relationship with her boyfriend, but there is a true god who longs for a relationship with her, and with you. He's inviting us to live with him. I stand at the door and knock, says Jesus. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Revelation 3.20 But if we say no to Jesus now, the day will come when we're longing to get into his home, but the door will be forever shut. 
But you might wonder, is missing out on that relationship with Jesus really so bad? Is life without Jesus really so bad? In Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, we meet the terrible Dementors. Dementors guard the high-security prison of the Wizarding World. They don't carry weapons like normal prison guards. Instead, Dementors suck the joy and love and happiness out of a room, or even out of a person, until all that is left is coldness and despair. The ultimate punishment in the Wizarding World is a Dementor's kiss. If we don't know Jesus, it's easy to think that we'll be just fine without him. Plenty of people who don't follow Jesus live pretty happy lives on Earth. But if Jesus is who he says he is, then truly being without Jesus is like kissing a Dementor. If Jesus is the light of the world, John 8:12, then being without Jesus means living in terrible darkness. If Jesus is the bread of life, John 6:35, then being without Jesus means being desperately hungry. If Jesus is the way, John 14:6, then being without Jesus means being eternally lost. And if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, John 11:25, then being without Jesus means being finally, utterly, everlastingly dead. Jesus isn't a guru or a life coach. He didn't come to make our lives better. He is the life. Without him, in the end, there is no life for us at all. So how come people can live in this world right now, rejecting Jesus, and seem to do okay? Two years ago, we fish sat Bella Lightning, my daughter Eliza's class fish. We collected Bella from the classroom, and I put her bowl on the floor of the passenger seat in our car. I started to drive home, very slowly. But after a few minutes, I turned a corner a bit too fast, and the goldfish bowl tipped over, sending Bella flapping wildly onto the doormat, the floor mat. I pulled the car over as soon as I could and asked my girls if they had any water. I knew that even a couple of minutes without water would kill their fish. Amazingly, my daughter Miranda, who usually doesn't carry a water bottle, had one that day. It had just enough water for Bella to survive. Before being dumped on the floor mat of our car, Bella didn't know she needed water. She didn't even know she lived in water, but as soon as the water was gone, her life became a fast track to death. Jesus made each one of us and gives us everything we have, our family, our friends, our health, even the air we breathe. We can live a long time without realizing Jesus gave us these things, just like we can live without realizing we're breathing air. We can't see it, we can't hear it, we can't smell it. But if it stopped being there for us, even for a minute, we'd be thrown into sudden terrifying panic and after a few minutes, we'd be dead. God's goodness to us now is like the air we breathe, or like the water in which Bella swims. We take it for granted. But without it, we'd have nothing. And if we reject Jesus in our lives on earth, the Bible warns us that in the end, he will reject us. But is that fair? Is God fair to judge us? At the beginning of the Harry Potter series, we meet Harry's Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon. Throughout Harry's childhood, they are horrible to him. They make him sleep in a cupboard under the stairs. They constantly say and do mean things to him. They wish he didn't exist. When Vernon has important guests over, he tells Harry to stay in his bedroom, make no noise, and pretend he doesn't exist. If Harry, aged one, hadn't defeated Voldemort, Vernon and Petunia would probably be dead. Voldemort would have taken over the world, and his followers would be killing... Muggles like the Dursleys just for fun. But Vernon and Petunia think they're being incredibly kind to Harry to let him live in their house. They don't think they're bad people. In fact, they think they're really very good. 
Most of us like to think we're basically good people. We know we're not perfect, we sometimes do bad things, but at heart we think we're pretty good. We're not like the murderers we hear about on the news or read about in history books, so the idea that we might one day be judged by God doesn't seem fair. But what if, at heart, we actually aren't good? You know when you're reading a comic book and there's a cloud-shaped bubble over someone's head showing the character's thoughts. Imagine for a minute that you had one of those bubbles over your head in real life. Imagine all your thoughts would ping up there, moment by moment, so anyone could read them. What would people think of you? Try an experiment between now and this time tomorrow. Notice what you're thinking, and imagine other people could see your thoughts. Scary, right? If that happened to me, all my relationships would be ruined, even with the people I really like. It's not that all my thoughts are bad, but many of them are. Even when I'm doing something good, I always have some messed up thoughts mixed in. And here's the thing. The Bible tells us God can see our thoughts. It's like he has x-ray vision to see right through us, even when we're looking pretty good to other people. And God's standards are really high. In the good place, only people who have lived a really good life have enough points to get into heaven. But Jesus sets the bar even higher. For example, we might think that murdering someone would be bad enough to deserve God's judgment. But Jesus says that anyone who is angry with someone else deserves God's judgment. At first, this sounds crazy. We wouldn't dream of murdering someone. But if you think about it, for most of us, murdering someone else wouldn't make our lives better. Quite the opposite. But what if we were in a situation where murdering someone else would make our lives better? There are lots of examples throughout history of people murdering to get something they wanted or because of peer pressure from the people around them. You probably know that Hitler was a really bad person. He was. But if you learn about Nazi Germany, you'll discover that thousands of seemingly normal people who were probably nice to their families and friends, were willing to join in with the murder of six million Jews. Many of the Nazis didn't think they were bad people. They thought they were patriots. I'm sure you know that slavery is wrong. But if you learn about the history of slavery in America, you'll discover that thousands of white Americans were willing to keep black people as slaves, and many were willing to beat and abuse their slaves without thinking they themselves were bad people. It's what everyone around them was doing. Few people in my country, Britain, owned slaves personally, but many people made a lot of money from selling enslaved Africans. We probably think we would have been different if we'd been in Nazi Germany or in Britain or America during the time of slavery. But Jesus, who knows us better than we know ourselves, doesn't think so. If you read his teaching in the Gospels, you'll find that you don't measure up to God's standards. Not even close. Like Eleanor, we need to realize that if there's a place called heaven, we don't deserve to be there. The Bible says that God is perfectly good and holy, and sinful people like me and like you can't be where he is. It's like when you switch a light on in a room and none of the darkness can stay. So what hope is there for people like us? Should we just try to be better, or try somehow to hide from God, or pretend God doesn't exist because Jesus' standards make us feel bad? Jesus is our only hope. In Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Harry realizes that part of Voldemort's soul is stored in him. The only way for Voldemort to die is if Harry dies too. Voldemort's evil can't be extracted from Harry any other way. The Bible tells us that we each have sin lodged in us, like that piece of Voldemort's soul in Harry. The punishment for sin is death. There's no other way to get it out. But the amazing message of the Bible is that if we put our trust in Jesus, his death on the cross becomes our death. Paul puts it like this, 
Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Romans 6.6 But if we trust in Jesus, we also get to share his life. That's how Jesus was able to say those wonderful words to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. John 11:25-26. Martha didn't deserve eternal joy-filled life, and nor do we. But Jesus promises that anyone who believes in him will get just that. He's done the dying. He's taken the punishment. He's paid the price. He was the only truly good person who has ever lived. But he took the sins of anyone who would believe in him so that instead of dying forever, suffering God's judgment, we can live forever, enjoying God's love. I wish I could tell you a story to explain this, but people don't write stories in which good characters die for bad ones. I could say it was a bit like when Lily Potter threw herself in front of Harry to protect him from Lord Voldemort, and it is a bit like that because her sacrifice saved Harry's life. But God isn't like Lord Voldemort, and we're not like an innocent baby. It would be more like if Dumbledore had died to save Tom Riddle. I could say it was a bit like when Anna... Anna? Anna. Anna threw herself between Elsa and Hans to save Elsa from being murdered. And it is a bit like that. Because, like Jesus, Anna took the hit and the power of her love meant she came back to life again. But really, Jesus dying for us is more like if Anna had sacrificed herself for Hans. I could say it's a bit like the moment in Titanic when Jack decides to give his life for Rose and freezes to death in the water because he loves her so much. And it is a bit like that, because Jesus loves us desperately. But it would be more like Jack dying for Rose's mean fiancé. Paul explains the strangeness of the cross like this. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 7 and 8. If God is the one who gave us life and breath and everything we have, if he even sent his son to die for us, and we act like he doesn't exist, we're worse than the Dursleys. We're like a kid whose parents loved him and cared for him and gave him everything, but the kid just acted like his parents weren't there. If then, one day, after years of loving patience and inviting him into relationship, his parents said, It's time for you to leave. We wouldn't think they were unfair. We'd think that kid deserved it. Jesus told a story in which a son acted just that way to his father. He took his father's money, left home, and spent his father's cash on having fun. When he ran out of money, he realized how stupid he'd been and how miserable he was. He assumed his father wouldn't want him back as a son, but thought maybe he'd take him back as a servant. But when he came within sight of his father's house, his father ran out to meet him and flung his arms around his son and kissed him. He even threw a big party to celebrate his son's return. Jesus says God loves us like that. He's not just willing to have us back. He's eager for it, running down the street, hugging us tight, and throwing a party to welcome us home. But Jesus is also very clear throughout his teachings that one day it will be too late. The door will be shut. The windows will be closed. There will be no way to come home anymore. What about you? We all have the chance to put our trust in Jesus. Whatever we've done, whatever we've thought, however we've lived. If we cry out to Jesus, he'll welcome us with open arms. In fact, even when Jesus was hanging on the cross, 
A criminal, who was also being executed, admitted that he deserved his punishment, and then said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 42, and 43. This man knew he hadn't lived a good life. If there was a good place, he didn't deserve it. But in the real good place, Jesus is king, and anyone who trusts in him is welcome. All we have to do is admit that we need him, say we're sorry for the ways we have failed to love God and others, and trust that Jesus died for us. When we come to Jesus, we find out two things. One, we are more sinful than we ever thought, and two, we are more loved than we ever dreamed. The one truly good person who has ever lived knows everything about you. He can read your thought bubbles and has the right to judge you. But he loves you so much he was willing to die for you and take that judgment on himself. Maybe this all seems offensive to you. Maybe as you examine Christianity, it still looks like serious black before Harry realized he'd been falsely accused. Or maybe you're starting to get interested in Jesus, but you still have questions that haven't been answered in this book. If that's you, it's okay to keep asking questions. I've been a Christian for ages, and I still ask questions. But I make sure I ask hard questions, not just about Christianity, but also about the alternatives, including atheism. Every time I do, I find that Christianity, crazy as it might sometimes sound, is actually the most believable option. If that's what you've decided too, and you're ready now to put your trust in Jesus, here's a prayer you could pray. Lord Jesus, it's amazing that you would die for someone like me. If other people knew my thoughts, they'd run away. But you ran toward me instead. I believe that you are God's own son, and that you died on the cross so that my sin could be forgiven. I believe that you rose from the dead, so now I can live with you forever. I believe that you love every inch of me, more than anyone else ever could, and that life with you is the only path to true and lasting happiness. Thank you for promising to love me forever. Please be my king, and remember me when you come into your kingdom. Amen. What now? If you've prayed a prayer like that for the first time, welcome. You've just joined a family of people from all over the world. My friend Rachel first prayed a prayer like that when she was reading a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis in a library. Rachel didn't know any Christians, but she found out that a Christian group at her university was having a Valentine's Day party that same week, so she went along. The people Rachel met at that party helped her live her new life as a Christian. One friend she met that night is still helping her today, 16 years later. You see, Christians don't belong by themselves. We need a church family where we can get help and give help to others. Just like a sports team, all of us are needed. But don't expect the Christians you meet to be perfect. They're not. In fact, they're pretty bad. If you could see the thought bubbles above their heads, you'd likely run away. But Jesus ran toward them, just as he has run toward you. And he sent his spirit to live in each of his followers, so we're never alone. Unlike most captains, Jesus doesn't pick strong people for his team. He picks weaklings. He doesn't pick winners. He picks losers. As Paul puts it, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians 1.27 But Jesus' team will win in the end because Jesus is the hero. It's a bit like Quidditch in the Harry Potter series. In Quidditch, all the players except the seeker try to score goals against the other team. Each goal scores 10 points. But the seeker's job is to catch the golden snitch, and that's worth 150 points. The team can be losing really badly, 
but if the seeker gets the golden snitch, the team still wins. Often, it feels like Jesus' team is losing. We're a bunch of weaklings after all. But Jesus is our seeker, and the salvation he's won for us is worth all the points in the world. Like the golden snitch from Harry's first Quidditch game, it contains the resurrection stone, and it will open at the close. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Chapter 10 Summary Heaven isn't a place you get to go to if you've done good enough things in your life. It's the full experience of relationships with God and with each other. None of us deserve this amazing relationship with God. We may think we're good people, but God sees our thoughts and knows our hearts. He's given us everything we have, and we've rejected him. If we trust in Jesus now, his death on the cross pays the price for our sin, and we will be welcomed into his kingdom. He is eager for us to come to him, and welcomes anyone who will accept his offer. If we reject Jesus now, he will one day reject us. Every good thing we have will be gone, and we will be shut out of his kingdom forever. If we trust in Jesus now, God lives in us by his Spirit and welcomes us into his family. Everyone else in Jesus' family is a sinner like us, but we can help each other as we live for him. And in the end, however much we fail, it's Jesus' victory that will count. He is our resurrection and our life.